Are you ready to go? You're going to stay awake this morning? Some of you need to wake up to that question. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try my best to keep it going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity now to look into your word afresh. Give us ears, fresh ears to hear, fresh eyes to see these truths that are of such paramount importance, and yet we've heard these things so many times it could, it could roll off our backs like water off of a duck, and, and that we know is not your will for us this morning. So help us, Father, to focus and to learn this morning and to rejoice in what is true and to, be, and to leave here more devoted to ministering your word ministering your word, and not merely giving happy advice. Lord, we want to be faithful ministers of your word, even if we suffer for it. And so, Father, we ask your help now, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of the reasons Christians love the pastoral epistles, as they're called, uh, and that would be First and Second Timothy and Titus, is that they offer such practical structure on how God wants us, you know, his church and us as Christians to minister in these last days. Last week, for example, we began studying Paul's view of the centrality of the Word of God. And Paul's view of the centrality of the Word of God in the Scripture in, uh, is the Scripture uh, that's what we need to be ministering, not only from the pulpit, but in Sunday school classes and when we're talking to one another, whether we're giving counsel or whether we're giving encouragement or whatever it is. So the question we sought to answer last time was, why should Christian men and women build their lives around the Word of God? Why should the Bible be central to everything that we do. And I hope that if you're visiting with us today, you've already noticed that there's an awful lot of scripture reading that takes place in this worship service. It's that way by design. We want you to hear directly from God, and we want you to hear directly from God from the very first few minutes that our service begins. And that's why we have Keith come up every week and just read the scripture. My thinking is, if you have to leave within three to five minutes after arriving, you will have already heard from God. Not because you've heard from me, but because you've heard from his word. And so the focus of these few weeks together is a focus on scripture. Now, Paul offers three, a three-part answer, or I should perhaps more honestly say, infers three different things in answer to the question, why should the Bible be central? And we find that in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Christians and churches should build their lives in ministries around the Word of God because of three uh, inspired, marvelous, unchanging truths about the Bible. They are these, number one. The Word of God is authoritative. This is the authority of Scripture. Secondly, it is efficacious. This is the efficacy of Scripture, and I'll define that in a little bit here. And then the third is the sufficiency of Scripture, and we'll talk about that next time. That Paul viewed the Scriptures as authoritative, efficacious, and sufficient is evident in the short passage that we're studying this month. So 
Let's stand together and read it, as is our tradition. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you can be seated. Now, we invested all of our time last week thinking about the authority of Scripture. Again, by way of review, it's important to remember the context here. Paul is about to be executed. He knows that's coming. He doesn't know when, but he knows it's soon. And so he writes this short note to Timothy, partly to say, Timothy, would you come? But also to give him some final instruction in case Timothy can't come before he is executed. And so he wants to give him final instructions to make sure that after Paul is gone, the ministry will continue and will continue faithfully and powerfully. And so here, toward the end of the last letter that Paul writes, he reiterates what is most important, namely a commitment to ministering the Scriptures. In verses 14 and 15, Paul reminds us that Timothy had been taught the Scriptures from the earliest years. His mother and grandmother had been devoted to implant those truths in young Timothy's heart from a child. As I said last week, part of the Jewish tradition was that every child at age five begins to study the Word of God, begins to learn the Word of God, probably more like uh, catechesis, where there would be question and answer, and there would be memorization. But it would start early in life. And then later, when Timothy grew and became a part of Paul's missionary or his, his team of missionary church planters, Timothy was discipled by the Apostle Paul. He learned, no doubt, learned much about the Word of God and how to minister the Word of God through the Apostle Paul. And this was important because Paul wanted Timothy to build his whole life and ministry around the Word of God. And so when Paul told Timothy that he should be an example to the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity... He meant do that according to the Scriptures, because the Scriptures lay it out. No other book in the world speaks with the authority of the Bible. In fact, I would say no other religious book even attempts to speak with the authority that is in the Scriptures. The Word of God, the Scriptures, is the final court of appeals for every question of life and godliness. If there is a, an issue that you're struggling with in your home or in your personal life, maybe within your own heart, or maybe you need to address someone else, the answers to all of those questions are in the Word of God. There is no other book like this. It is the final court of appeals. And beyond this, there is nothing. It's the Supreme Court, so to speak. You find out what the Word of God says, and it is done. It's just a matter of being bold enough and faithful enough to carry out what it says. The Bible alone provides all the necessary instruction to teach 
how to please the Lord in every sphere of life, in every circumstance, and every moment of life. What makes the Scripture authoritative? What makes the Scripture authoritative? Only this, the awesome fact of verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So, beloved, let there be no mistake. There is no authority higher than God's authority. And ultimate, ultimately, all authority, authority resides in him. And, and Jesus, you remember at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28, remember what he said to his disciples um, before he ascended to heaven. And right immediately before he gave the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All authority, all authority. That means authority over men, over rulers, over kingdoms, over angels, over demons, over the cosmos. All authority. Listen, God didn't inherit his authority. God didn't receive his authority. God's authority didn't come by election. It didn't come by conquest. He didn't get it from anyone else. Authority is inherent to God because God is the beginning of everything. To understand and accept God's authority really then is as simple as accepting the fact of God himself. What does it mean to be God? Well, one thing it means is he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth, and no one can hold back his hand. Another thing, which is really the same thing, is God has all authority over everything. He speaks and things happen. He spoke and the world burst into existence. And since he existed before everything, since he created all there is, since he exercises sovereign dominion over the world and all that is in it, and since he will one day destroy it for his own purposes, for his own glory and the good of the church, he is the ultimate and final authority. Whenever he speaks, he speaks with absolute authority. And everything he says is always and must always and never deviates from always good. It is always good. Therefore, to say that all Scripture is breathed out by God is to say that Scripture speaks with ultimate and final authority on every subject to which it actually speaks. Now, you can make the Bible speak about things that the author didn't intend to speak about, but you could do that with Shakespeare. You could do that with anything else. But everything that the authors of Scripture intended to speak to, it speaks authority, uh, authoritatively. Therefore, to say all of Scripture is breathed out by God is to say all Scripture has the authority of God. And Timothy, like every pastor and every Christian, would be faced with difficult questions in life, in ministry. And Paul's reminding him and us that the answers we need are all found in God's inspired word. And all of those answers are, are authoritative. This is what it means when we speak of the authority of Scripture. And we come to the second thing, and that is the efficacy of Scripture. Notice what he says in verse 16. 
He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And then he says, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul's saying, Timothy, in your life and ministry, you're going to need to teach, reprove, correct, to train people how to live. How will you do that? How will you know what to say? And what should you preach? What should you write? Um, what, will, what will you go to for counsel? I don't know about you, but I've received a lot of bad counsel in my days. And you know when you, when you go over to Sam's or, or uh, Costco or one of the box stores and you see the people on the sides wanting your business and they make you all kinds of promises as quickly as they can dish them out as you walk by to entice you to come and take their product. And you are leery. You are really, you, you try to turn your head, you know, you ignore, you, you pretend they're not there. Why? Because you, you're thinking, look, I can't trust you. I don't know you. Why would I trust you? You're talking about a lot of money. I'm not going to give you any. Um, why? Because we've learned over the years. And this has always been the case. It's always been the case. One day in the Garden of Eden, the serpent came to Eve and made her a promise. Uh, you can have the knowledge of good and evil. And all you have to do is eat this fruit that you know looks good. And his promise failed to man's everlasting peril. And you think of the time when uh, one boy apparently among all of his friends thought it would be a good idea to, next time they saw the prophet Elijah, Elisha, to come out and call him names. Bald head, bald head. Uh, that promise of having fun did not deliver. What they got instead was a lesson in good manners that was taught them by a she-bear. And we could go on and on in the scriptures. Delilah, for example, inferred to Samson that if, if, she, if he really wanted her affection, if he was really committed to her, if he, if he really wanted all of her, then all he had to do was show her what was the source of his strength, which he did, and it nearly cost him his life, and ultimately cost him his life. There was a time in college for me when the promise was laid out that if, if, uh, if I wanted to make some serious money in college, all I had to do with my wife-to-be was to convince all of my friends to uh, transfer all of their phone services over to a brand new company that had come on the market called Sprint. And uh, the promise failed, to say the least. All I did uh, as a result of that was we, we got no money out of the deal. We wasted a lot of time on the deal and honestly harmed my relationship with some friends. This is what happens. Bad counsel is everywhere you look. And you know what? Even in the church. Even in the church, there's tons of bad counsel. Uh, and it comes to us from everywhere. And more importantly, it's bad counsel because it's not biblical counsel. And, and not all counsel that is not biblical counsel, not all of that is wicked or evil or will lead you into the pit. But what Timothy is calling, 
What Paul is calling Timothy to do is, Timothy, minister the word. Minister the word. There's 10,000 things that you could say. Say this. Say what scripture says. Repeat what God has said in his word. Look to the Bible. The Bible is uniquely and exclusively qualified to give you all the truth that you need. And it is efficacious. We, 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 we call this the efficacy of Scripture because the word efficacy, even though it's not one that we typically use in our modern parlance, but it is an appropriate term here. Efficacy means the capacity to produce a desired result. Efficacy means the capacity to produce or to fulfill the desired results. In other words, God has given us his word for a purpose. And for many purposes, ultimately it's to glorify him. In a secondary way, it is for our good, so that we would grow in the knowledge of Christ. But then there are all the details of life, all of the questions of life and godliness. And God has given us his word for those purposes. It has the power or capacity to produce the desired result. If we were to use the word as an adjective, we might say that the scriptures are efficacious. They actually accomplish what God sends it out to do. And we can see how this word or how this, this idea is used in the prophet Isaiah. You remember this very well-known text, Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, where God says through the prophet, listen to this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, listen carefully, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in doing the thing for which I sent it. This is what God says about his own word. Not only is it breathed out by God, but because it is breathed out by God and ultimately authoritative, it always accomplishes what God intended for it to accomplish. And so, Timothy, minister the word. Minister the word. I do a lot now in, in terms of, um, you know, I've been doing biblical counseling for a long time. Now I'm mentoring biblical counselors. And one of the things that I find myself getting after them on is this. Uh, one of the things we ask them to do at the end of a session while they're counseling or discipling is give hope. Give hope. So I want to know, how did you give hope? And, and forever, I get these statements. I told them they're doing a really good job and they have potential. <laughs> or, or something like that. Way to go. Did a good job on the homework. And I just, I just have high hopes for you. And I'm always writing to them, use scripture. Don't just come up with some dumb platitude. It might, it might make them feel better momentarily, or it might reveal something that you don't want revealed about you, and maybe that is that you don't know the word of God, and, and because you don't know what to give, you're giving them something shallow instead of, instead of a rock that they can stand on. Give them scripture. 
Give them scripture when you're ministering to one another. Use the scriptures. Now, you've got to be careful. Don't beat each other over the head with it. But use it to encourage, to strengthen, to correct with tenderness and gentleness. But use scripture. Now, of course, that means you've got to know scripture. You've got to be growing in your knowledge of scripture if you're going to do that. But by all means, use the scriptures. So God is teaching us about the efficacious word. God's word never misses the mark. It never fails. It always produces exactly that goal for which God sends it. Now that doesn't mean that we always see what God is doing or what he desires to come to pass. Indeed, much of what God does in the church and in my life and in yours is invisible. To be sure, much of it is invisible. But it is no less real and powerful. Our business is simply to declare what God says and to do it kindly, do it gently, do it at the appropriate time, but always be ministering the word of God. And having done that, we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish with it all that the Father intends. It always amazes me when I discover that someone came to Calvary Bible Church, maybe it was a special service like uh, our Good Friday service or our Easter service or a Christmas service, or maybe it was a funeral, and they, they heard whoever was officiating that day uh, preach the word or deliver a, a funeral message or whatever, and we find out later that they came to know Christ in that event. Uh, and, and some of you right now, are that resonates with you because I know there are many of you here that are hearing my voice. That, that happened to you. And I didn't know about it. Nobody around them knew about it. They weren't even sure what happened at first. But the Word of God came. And by the Spirit's power, the Word created faith in their heart. And they believed. And believed like they never believed before. Believed in such a way where they realized... I don't know what just happened to me, but it's different. It's different. And new desires have come. And the old things are passing away. Beloved, the Word of God is unlike anything else in the world. Other voices may sound clever or wise or mystical or scientific or psychological or entertaining, but the voice of God, the Word of God, is the only thing that can save and transform the hearts of sinners and Christians who are sinners. Because only the word of scriptures come from the very mouth of God. And not only does the message of scripture come, with, come from a different source and an infinitely better one, it is the only source of truth that has the power to equip men and women to accomplish everything God wants, wants them to do and be. Notice four things God says that Scripture is profitable. First of all, teaching. Teaching. The Bible instructs the believer. I hope that the Bible is instructing you. Now, I hope that the Bible instructed you earlier today when you were in Sunday school. And I hope you were there. Or in some way being ministered to by the Word of God. Teaching. Teaching is related to content. Teaching, you could translate the word as doctrine. And this fits with 
Jesus' instruction in the Great Commission that we are to make disciples, teaching them to observe. This is instruction. To observe all that he has commanded, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Not that they would be saved by that, but having been saved, they are now learning, they are being instructed in how to live this life that is worthy of the Lord. Scripture teaches the believer what to believe and how to live in obedience to God. And then there's reproof. This term shows the Scripture's purpose of admonishment. The word here is nutheteo, from which uh, we get nuthetic. It means to admonish. It means Sometimes that means to encourage. Sometimes it means to uh, correct. It has to do with pointing out where a person has erred. And, of course, do it graciously. Do it asking lots of questions. But you do it when it's necessary. When a person is erred or departed from what the Word of God requires, Scripture is able to judge the heart when a believer has deviated in doctrine and practice from the faith once delivered to the saints, once for all delivered to the saints. And then there's correction, very closely related to reproof, this is the companion of reproof. The, the Bible not only shows a person where he's wrong, it reveals attitudes, beliefs, behaviors that one should put on in place of those that they should put off. Sin and righteousness are always a matter of the heart. And the heart of a man is like deep waters, but a man of good understanding can draw it out. And this is what the, the Word of God does. It divides between joints and marrow. It is able to, to plumb to the depths of the heart. And then there's training in righteousness. This refers to the fact that the Bible shows how to put its teaching into practice on a daily basis with illustrations and examples. We could look at Ephesians 5. Therefore you husbands, therefore you wives, therefore you children, therefore masters, that would be employers, Therefore, slaves, that would be those of you who are employees, um, you single people, you married people, you grandparents. All through the scripture, we have, we have illustration, and we have doctrinal teaching, we have correction. And then there's training in righteousness. This refers to the fact that the Bible shows us how to put its teaching into practice daily. So when you stand to teach or when you sit with someone to give counsel, here's a question. Whose voice are they hearing? Whose voice, whose words are they hearing? Are they your words? I hope they're not all your words. I hope rather that you're giving God's word and that you are able to demonstrate that what you are saying is what God has already said or what you are illustrating is something that God has already proclaimed. Listen, this is, this is an important detail that we need to catch. The only time God's voice is heard directly from my mouth is when I'm truly, accurately ministering God's word. Only when I've got the point of the text right, only when I'm saying when whatever the author intended to say, only then do I know that I am speaking for God. 
My words are not authoritative unless they are God's words. Anything beyond that is out of bounds in terms of authority. His words are the only words that have the power to change us and can form us into his image. Only his words can create faith in the sinner's heart. Only his words can sanctify. And so Timothy, Christian, churches, pastors, use God's word. Use God's word. Why is God so concerned that you preach, teach, and minister his word? Well, it's because his word is the only word that can bring people exactly what they need and everything they need. I'd like for you to illustrate this a little more, but do it from a different passage. Could you turn with me back to Psalm um, 19? Psalm 19. I had Keith read this last week at the beginning of the service, knowing that we would be spending time talking about the Word of God. In this case, the written Word of God. There are two kinds of revelation theologians will tell you. One is general revelation, where you can look around and you can see the trees and the grass and the animals and you know your dog and your family. You can look up into the sky and you can see uh, the, the stars and, and, and wonder which one's uh, Mars and which one is Venus, and as we were doing the other night on a hike. Um, but when we look at those things, we should think, and, and naturally we do. We have to suppress it. But when we look and we see all the order and beauty and glory and realize we live in a, in a, in a universe that's hostile to life and, and yet here we are alive and everything around us is alive and working perfectly, we conclude there must be a God. There must be some intelligence that is infinitely higher than our own. And that's exactly what this psalm says. The very first words, and let me read them to you. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, not real speech, nor is there words whose voice is not heard. But look at verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. In them... He has set the, a, a tent for the sun, which comes out like a, a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. That, beloved, is general revelation. Did you hear what he was saying? They don't speak, but they speak. They don't say words but they communicate clearly. There is a God, and he is awesome and majestic. But general revelation isn't enough to bring someone into a right relationship with God. Looking at the stars and glorying in the thought that, that God created that doesn't really tell you anything about God except that he's big and powerful and in some way glorious. doesn't tell you how you can be reconciled to him. But God was enormously gracious, eternally gracious to us because he gave us his word. And he gave it to men to give to us 
And so, after speaking about what the heavens communicate, notice where David, the author of this, picks up. Verse 7, still talking about how God communicates, but now through his word, and he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Psalm 19, 7 through 14. This passage is all about the efficacy of Scripture. Again, when we say the Scriptures are efficacious, we mean that God's Word has the power to successfully inform and change us. Anything we need to know, God gives us in his word, and he gives it effectually. In other words, the word actually accomplishes what it was intended. And this is what David is saying. In verses 7 through 9, we have very specific statements about Scripture, and every one of these is about Scripture. And then there are six titles for Scripture. And they are law, testimony, precepts, commands. How about this? Fear. That's actually a technical term for the word of God in this passage. And judgments, also a title for the scriptures. And so as there are six um, statements of scripture, or st uh, 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 six terms to identify scripture, there are also six characteristics of scripture. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. And it is true. And notice how many times in this passage the word, the phrase of the Lord is used in this text. Six times we're reminded that this book is from the Lord, from the Lord, from the Lord. It's God's own revelation about his world. And revelation is a key word here. Don't think book of revelation, although that certainly fits under this heading when we talk about revelation, here's the thing you need to know. So many people are, are look, say they're looking for God. They're looking for God, trying to find God, trying to get right with God, trying to know God. I'm searching, I'm looking. Listen, God's not hiding. God is not hiding. He has revealed himself. That's what revelation means. He has revealed himself. Everything you need to know about God and, and far more than, than you can grasp is offered to you in the word of God. You want to know God? Read what he has written. Read what he has said. Here's the amazing thing. You can't have a relationship with anybody if they don't let you in. You can know people. I know there are people here who visited last week and this is their second week here. And I might, on rare occasion, even be able to reproduce their names when I see them, right? And I may be happy to see them. And maybe, off chance, they may be happy to see me. <laughs> but I don't really know them. 
I could take them out to lunch and get done lunch and not really know them. I could spend a, a week in the woods with them and not really know them. You know why? Because the only way to know them truly is for them to open themselves up and let us in. And here's the glorious thing. You may not do that with people you know, but God's willing to do it with you. He has revealed himself. You want to know God? Run to Scripture. You want to know Jesus? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Don't think you know what's in there if you haven't read it. You have no idea. You have no idea the glory that you will find there. Read the Bible. Read the book and then minister the book. This is the book that is of the Lord. But what I want to focus on for the next few minutes is what the Word of God accomplishes. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now here's what it accomplishes. Restoring the soul. The law of the Lord restores the soul. The word for perfect here means complete. It's, it is it's perfect as opposed to incomplete. What does the perfect word do? It restores the soul. The soul in the Hebrew is nefesh. It means the inner person. We would say the heart or the inner man. It restores the inner man. And you know what? That's where the problem is. That's where your problem is. It's not primarily some kind of chemical thing that's happening in your heart, I mean in your life, in your body. It's what's happening in the inner person, what the Bible calls the heart or the soul. That's where the problem is. And, and your relationship with God is always a matter of the heart. If it's a good relationship, it's because God has done something in your heart. If you've been reconciled with him, it's because he's given you a new heart. If you are living in an unreconciled state, it's because something is going wrong in your heart. There's sin there. It's the inner person. It's, this is the real you, the spiritual you. And by the power of the word of God, our souls can be changed. Your soul can be changed. I know when I came to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that, that, that I realized was that I hated my sin. Oh, I hated it. Hated it. What I once loved, I hated. And there were some things that I didn't love very much, like the Bible, like God's people, His church. Suddenly I loved them. Loved them. Um, by the power of the word of God, our souls can be changed. They, are, they can be renewed. Our whole inner person is transformed because the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. That's what it does. And, and then again, verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Sure here means firm, reliable. The psalmist says it, it makes the simple wise. The word simple means an open door. One of, the, one of the meanings of this word in Scripture is open door. Um, it means a, a lack of discernment. People have minds that are like doors that open and close, and, and we don't know when to keep the door closed as opposed to when to open it. If your mind is open to anything, you lack discernment and you're in danger. People don't know when to shut the door. 
But God tells them. The testimony of the Lord gives us wisdom. Um, it's not wise to always be open-minded. We need to know what is good and what is bad, what is helpful, what is dangerous, what is right, and what is wrong. And your senses will be trained to discern good and evil, right and wrong, as the Word of God has its effect on your soul, on your heart. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, and notice what they accomplish. They rejoice the heart. They rejoice the heart. Um, I remember getting up one morning this week. I don't even remember what the issue was, but I was just freshly awake, and I'm walking on the street, and my heart was just heavy, and I didn't know why. And, uh, you know, on the outside, everything was bright. On the inside, everything was gloomy. And I thought, I know what to do. I need to run to Scripture. And you know what? I just started rehearsing some of the Scriptures that I have hidden in my heart. About a half a mile later, guess what? There was rejoicing going on in my heart. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Right means they set the right path. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. How do you navigate through life and marriage, your, your relationship with your employer, your neighbors, your children? The precepts of the Lord lay the right path. It always lays the right path. It's like in Psalm 23. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. You know what that means? It means it's always, if you're following the good shepherds, it's always the right path. No wonder his heart rejoices. And then it rejoices, it rejoices the heart. And then listen to this. You can maintain joy and teach your people to have joy by learning and obeying the word of God. Scripture is the fountain of joy. Perhaps you know someone who struggles with being blue and depressed a lot. You know what can be most helpful to them? I'm not saying that this is going to miraculously cure them, like sprinkling pixie dust on them or anything. But you know what? If they're a believer, they love the Lord. Sometimes the best thing you can do for them is just read the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Um, and then the commandment of the Lord, verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so the, the commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. Pure means clear. The word of God gives clarity. It enlightens our eyes. That is, it enables us to see and evaluate clearly. When we face difficult trials in life, we need clarity. And God gives it to us by his word. By scripture, we learn that even death cannot kill us. We we learn that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Unbelievers don't know that. Unbelievers don't have that. The promise doesn't apply to them. But for the children of God, it always does. And you know what? No matter what perplexing situation you are, you are working through right now, that has been carefully measured by the Lord for you. And you may lack clarity, and the invitation to you is, come to the book. 
or run to someone who knows the word of God and can point you to the scriptures that will give you clarity. Clarity. And believers don't have that kind of clarity because they reject the commandments of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord. And notice here how commandments is laid out as a blessing for our good. The commandments in our day in the church is, is synonymous with legalism. It was never that way for David. He repeatedly says, said things like, oh, how I love your law. And then verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean means without corruption or error or evil. Every word of God is pure. The Bible teaches us how to worship God and, and do it in an acceptable way. And it endures forever, verse 9. That is, it is timeless. This is the timeless word. The Psalms were written thousands and thousands of years ago, and yet here we are. We're still reading them. And, and now, in our day, we text them to one another. Um, we have so many ways to transmit the word of God to one another and to do it like a laser beam instead of a floodlight. You're hitting exactly what they need with a particular scripture that speaks to their situation. This is the enduring word. It never changes, but it's always, always, always relevant. They are pure. They are unchanging truth of God. And then the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Judgments are divine verdicts by the God who is the judge of all men. God renders the final verdict on every man and every nation. It used to be in our culture that everybody understood that. Everybody agreed that, you know, you're alive for a little while, and after that there's judgment. We all knew that, but our culture is suppressing that so effectively now that even believers have pushed it out of their minds. God's judgment relative to final judgment and present judgment, is a different, different kind of thing here, his judgment, his discernment, what he says is true about a thing is true indeed. And no matter what the world says, he never misses his verdict is always right. Guilty is always guilty. Innocent is always innocent. Pardoned is always pardoned. It always lines up with reality. He never misses. He never misses a single detail. He never misses someone's testimony. He doesn't need anyone else's testimony. He knows in every case how to render an accurate and perfect judgment. He's always complete, always righteous. My friends, do you see what a treasure we have in the Word of God? Do you realize how precious a gift to man the Scriptures are? Uh, Martin Luther would say, the most astounding thing in all the world is that God has given us everything we need to know, and he gave it to us in a book. A book. We can read it, and we live in a, in a period of time where every one of us, even if you're an unbeliever today, I bet you have a copy of the Bible. I bet you do. I mean, everybody does. Everybody used to. And, and, and many of you, you have probably 10 Bibles, maybe three or four different versions of the Bible, and you don't read any of it. You don't read it. Let me ask you, did you read the Word of God yesterday? 
Did you read it the day before? The day before? The day before? Any of those days? Do you comprehend how valuable it is to those who will believe and obey it? It wasn't lost on David. David knew the treasure of the word of God. He knew that because, he knew all of this because he delighted in the word. And he even expresses that here at the end. Look at verses, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. So here's David. Now, who was David? What was his position in the nation? King. Who was the richest guy in the whole nation? David. Did he have gold? He had gold. His son would have so much gold that the scripture says it pretty much made silver obsolete because there was so much gold. David was surrounded by gold. And yet David says of the word of God, Oh, Lord, your word is more precious to me than all the gold in my kingdom. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. When the Bible wants to refer to something as delightful, sometimes it will um, compare it with gold or some valuable thing, or it will, it will compare with food. One of, I think one of the inferences of Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, is not only that you should internalize what he's saying, but that you should take him in with joy. Take in his words with joy. They are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Why should the scriptures occupy the center place in your ministry and life? Because it not only comes to us with God's authority, but also because of its divine efficacy. It is the power to accomplish all that God has intended for it to do. And by the way, David didn't stop there with exalting in his joy in having the word of God. He adds one more thing. And again, the context here is delight. He is praising God and worshiping him for his goodness to him by his word. And the very last thing he says, see, when was the last time you rejoiced in, in thinking something like this? Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Warned. I told you one of the things I like to do is take pictures of warning signs. Um and there's some doozies, and I've told you about them before. But I thought about it again this week when I saw this verse. Um, it's not the signs. It's not the signs that are delightful. It's the fact that somebody cared enough to go out of their way to warn us of the danger. God loves you so much. He didn't allow you to simply stumble into judgment. He puts warning signs up everywhere, everywhere. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You obey the word of God? You're going to be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. You're going to be fruitful. Maybe not healthy and wealthy, but ask a, an, an older saint who's racked 
with some debilitating condition what they love most in this world. Go to Ruth Brown and ask her what she loves most in the world. And she'll say, Jesus, I can't wait to see him. Something's happened to that woman's heart. It's been changed. And so is it with everyone who knows God and delights in his word. So you see, everything that you could want for your people comes from the word of God. So let, let me run, th run this through. You want to hear people's lives truly transformed? Then give them the law of the Lord. Do you want to teach people how to live wisely in the midst of a crooked world? Teach them the testimony of the Lord. Do you want to help people who are suffering to experience true and lasting joy? Serve them the precepts of the Lord. Do you want your children to have clarity in their thinking about God, life, and their own hearts and the world around them? Feed them the commandments of the Lord. Do you want them to know how to worship and be grounded in truth that is always reliable and never changes? Preach the fear of the Lord. Do you want sinners to turn from their sins and find the righteousness they desperately need in the Lord Jesus Christ than to declare to them the judgments of the Lord? Beloved, this is your calling. If you know Christ, your calling is to minister the word of God. Timothy's business was to minister the word of God. That's why the next verse in Timothy is preach the word. Preach the word. And for you, maybe God hasn't called you to preach, but God has called you to speak. And God has called you to live. Every day, God offers you the privilege of speaking on his behalf for the good of others and the glory of God. And in doing so, he calls you to proclaim his truth, not your own, not your own ideas or, or what you heard uh, a DJ on Christian radio throw out to you that morning, which may have been funny or may have been encouraging, but not scripture. That bothers me, by the way, that on Christian radio, um, much of Christian radio, much of the Christian music radio, there is much talk of faith and almost no talk of scripture. It's not your job to come up with a message for your people. God has written a message to them. You're simply the mailman. Or to change the analogy, God has prepared a great feast for them, a life-giving feast, and you're the waiter charged with the simple duty of setting his delicacies before them without messing it up. Just give them the truth. Do it graciously. Do it kindly. Do it humbly. Do it often. Why should the word of God occupy the central place in your life and ministry? Because only the word of God speaks with ultimate authority and divine efficacy. Next week, I want to finish this study by looking at the third quality of Scripture, and that is the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. And this has profound implications for how we live and minister to one another and how we choose not to live and minister to one another. If you're here today 
And all of this is new. All of this, and you realize that you are not reconciled to God. You don't, you don't love the Bible, and that troubles you strangely this morning. You don't know Christ, and it's never bothered you before, but now it does. Maybe, maybe that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, calling you, calling you to fly to Christ. Just come to him and say, God, I confess to you, the only thing I have to offer you is my sin. Will you accept me? Will you receive me? Will you make me your own? Will you give me your word? Would you give me your spirit? Give me a new heart. Change me. Rescue me. Save me. Redeem me. Reconcile with me. God, be propitiated toward me, the sinner. Forgive me. Today is your day. Now is the time. It's the acceptable hour. Cry out to him in faith and he will receive you. Lord, we thank you for these words this morning. These are all your words in, that are written in this book. And so we praise you. We ask you, Father, to help us this week to be alert for opportunity to minister the word. But we'll never be ready to minister the word unless we're actively reading your word and meditating on your word. So I pray, Father, that you would make us people of the book, people who love people because your word has changed us. And Father, we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.